This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. I have a fabulous motivational hack for you. Do something rubbish today, not something great tomorrow. A certain percentage of people are procrastinators. They put things off. They want to just have the fun now and the pain later. It doesn't work. The way to unlock your productivity and to get you moving and to defeat procrastination is to do something rubbish today, not something great tomorrow, because most procrastinators are secret perfectionists. And it's the idea that when you're facing a big task, you're putting it off because you know you want it to be so perfect and so great. And I'm not in the right mood today. And I'm a bit tired and I haven't got time and it won't be that good, but it will be amazing tomorrow. But the problem is tomorrow never comes. So just get something down. That's what productive, successful people do. They're not perfectionists, right? They just grind it out and they're comfortable with a simple message, which is do something rubbish today, not something great tomorrow. I've got to say, I try to practice what I preach on that one today because um, I've had a bit of drama with my computer. My laptop is broken. It is brocanino. So what happened? You will not believe this. So I've got a very satisfactory computer. It's a Mac computer and it's called, well, you know, they change the name so much, don't they? But I believe, isn't it amazing? You spend a thousand pounds on something and you still don't know what it's called. I think it's called a MacBook Air 12 inch. I think that's what it's called. I really like it because it doesn't have a fan. So it's really good for the podcast because it means that I can use it to record this podcast and it doesn't have a whirring noise. There's something very distracting about that fan sound. It's like a heckle. And I just used to have this very big, heavy old Mac and that would have a crazy fan that would fire up after 11 seconds. And it distracted me. And also, I didn't like the background sound for you, my dear listener and viewer. I don't want you hearing this for the whole of the duration. If there's going to be a tedious whirring sound, I'd like it to be my voice only. So this old Mac, luckily it was due for replacement. I held out. I stuck with it for a long time. And then there was the Apple event in which they announced forthcoming products. And they announced that they had this very light, very thin, quite small, powerful laptop with no fan. And I'm thinking... If there's no fan in the device, it cannot whir. It cannot make any noise. Even if it gets hot, that is the computer for me. And I've got to tell you, I have loved it. It is my number one gadget because it's got a solid state drive. There's no moving parts. It's got a good screen. It's got a fast processor. I think it's M2. The battery lasts, well, they say all day battery life, but you know, yeah, 12, 12 hours, I think. 
without too much of a stretch. It's really nice. It's a lovely thing that you can just, it's nearly like now my laptop has become like a mobile phone where essentially I just sort of charge it overnight. And when it goes in my bag, that's it for the day. It will not be plugged in. It's a lovely feeling of freedom. So no cables. I do not have, I do not go around with cables for my laptop. And that is a beautiful thing. Whereas the previous, all previous laptops, I've had to have a cable in the bag just in case. So it's been a good laptop. It is reliable. Well, but wait a minute. It has a Baroka Kekeken. So what happened? Well, you will not believe this. I have got a really proper case. You know, like I was looking at different cases and I just got the most protective one. There is, of course, as you know, a compromise based upon, you know, if it's light and if it's a thin case, it's less protective. If it's sort of very protective, then it's going to be chunky and heavy. Well, I went for the chunky and heavy one. I just got a really good one and it's padded on the outside. It's got a strong zip and then it's even got like around the edges. If you actually put your finger in and you feel the edges, it's got bubbles. It's got air bubbles around the sort of perimeter, around the edge of the case. You've got these air bubbles, a bit like bubble wrap, but just indestructible. So this is a good case. I think you will agree. So my computer, my laptop is... In this case, I'm in this room and I'm holding the laptop case with a laptop in it and it falls from my hand. Now, it doesn't fall onto the floor, which is a metre and a half away. It falls onto the stool. So I reckon it falls. I mean, what would it be? 40 centimetres, right? Just a bit more than a ruler that we had at school. It's just dropped from my hand onto the stool next to me, right? Not onto the floor, just onto the stool. And then I've, I've picked it up. I did hear a little knock, right? It fell on the stool and it kind of went Doom, like that. I thought, what's going on there? Um, but anyway, I was, I was concerned. because I thought, well, that's a very good case. I shouldn't hear the sound of metal of, of the laptop landing on the wood of the stool. Um, but I did. It was like a little gunk. But I'm thinking it's a good case. And also this device, this laptop is very indestructible because it's, as I said to you earlier, it doesn't have any kind of little delicate moving parts or anything. It's a mobile device. Well, I uh, don't even think about it. Don't give it a second thought. A couple of hours later, it's time to do some work. I open my laptop and there are these wavy lines across the screen, these faint grey lines. And I immediately make the connection between the little bump and the um, <clears throat> the little bump and and the 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 uh, stripes on the screen. I then tried to persevere as you do. I persevere with this thing because I've got work to do. And then it starts going black. Right, it says it's coming in and out now. And finally, it's it's dead. Now I'm very lucky because I did something that I've never done before, which is I invested in Apple Care Plus, which is a, an extra bit of insurance. And the reason why is because my laptop travels with me. It goes everywhere. It's a hard life being my laptop. And I just figured I don't need, you know, I, in the past, I have definitely have had cracked screens and you go to the Apple store and they want 500 quid to fix the screen, which is not worth it, not viable. So I decided to get the Apple Care Plus, which of course is um has now come in very useful and it's being fixed. But as you know, the big mantra of this show is that we practice what we preach. I've just said to you right now, do something rubbish today, not something great tomorrow. And I could have sat around on my backside 
and waited for the laptop to be fixed. And then I'll record this podcast. But you know what? I'm quite busy. You're busy too. We've all got things to do. Really, it's appropriate to do the podcast today to get it done, because actually when the laptop's finished, I'm going to do another podcast, try and get ahead of myself a little bit. Because these tend to get recorded and then they go out a few days later. And for me, it wouldn't hurt to get a bit of work done in advance to get these podcasts stacked up. I'd like to have three or four in the kitty. And that way, if I'm having a busy week, I don't need to record one and fall back on some of the spares. Wouldn't be bad, would it? And also what I can do, which I do like to do and I have done in the past, is um, offer you some bonus episodes. So, you know, imagine if I'm three or four or five ahead, I might just be in a good mood one day and think, let's just do a bonus. Let's chuck out a cheeky little unexpected bonus on a Wednesday. So I reserve the right to do that, but only if I can get ahead of the game. So in keeping with the religiosity of this show, where we do practice what we preach, then I I am, I just decided we'll do it. We will get this done. And it's lovely to be here. It's so nice to have your company. I'm glad we're doing it. There is a compromise, which is that um, I'm recording on my son's iPad. So I don't know how it's going to sound. I hope it's going to be as good, but I don't quite have the same control over sound quality. And anyone watching on YouTube, this whole show is now coming from the iPhone microphone, which is kind of far away from me and it's going to be a bit echoey. Uh, what I might try to do, if it sounds great on YouTube, it's because I've managed to take the audio and shove it onto the YouTube video, the audio recorded on the iPad, but I don't know if, if that's going to be technically possible. But either way, I just decided to do something rubbish today, not something great tomorrow. And I hope you, you know, I hope you agree that that makes sense. Perfectionism is overrated. The great people are not perfectionists. The really great people, your William Shakespeare's and your Mozart's, they just churned it out, baby. They just churned it out and did not have this anxiety about the stuff being great. They were willing to do something bad. They were unafraid of failure. Speaking of which, we're going to do a special show in the coming weeks about the film Air, A-I-R. I watched it last night and it's a movie about the company Nike early in their history during the 1980s. So Nike were famous for running shoes, but they were not, they did not have the kind of complete sports apparel um, market cornered. They, they were really just making money from running shoes, which was kind of a limited market. They were a billion dollar company, but they were a fraction of the size of Adidas and Converse. So the movie is called Air, and the, the story is essentially about how they managed to convince the great basketball player Michael Jordan to become their brand ambassador and to be the face of their shoes. And I'll do a whole special show on it because um, there's a lot of stuff out there about Nike's corporate philosophy and how it can actually be really good for all of us. One of the big things about Nike is at the company and why they became so successful is not to have a fear of failure. And so we'll do it. We'll do an air special. But can I just recommend the film Air? If you happen to be an Amazon Prime customer, you'll get it for free. But it's worth renting uh, or purchasing because it's a lovely film. It's directed by Ben Affleck, who is, it turns out, a good director and a good actor. He's in it. He plays the founder 
of Nike. I think he's called, is it Michael Knight? Something Knight. And um, he's good, Matt Damon. Nice film. Yeah, recommended. Not too long as well. Can't bear these long films. This one's about an hour and 45. That's plenty, isn't it? That's plenty for a film. Anyway, we'll do an air special. We'll do the, the Nike philosophy. In fact, another idea is I need to do another show about the Toyota philosophy. There's a book all about how the corporate culture of Toyota made them very successful. Now, why would I waffle on to you about companies? You're not a company, are you, necessarily? You might be. You might not be. But if you're not a company, why, why do you care what Nike's corporate philosophy is or Toyota or Apple? Well, the reason why is because you can take their little ideology, their ideas, their philosophy, and you can do it in your own life as an individual because in many ways you are a corporation you are a brand you are your own brand so looking forward to that now i've taken a note remember little notebook don't forget your notebooks um i feel that everybody in this show listening to the show right luckily i'm delighted to say the podcast is free and so it requires very little investment this show except your time but what I would like you to do, if you haven't already, is I'd like you to buy a notebook that you really like. It can be a really small one that fits in your trouser or skirt or dress pocket. Do skirts have pockets? I'm not sure they do, but I'm trying to be inclusive here. Um, or it could be a bigger um, sort of book. It could be A4 or A a5 which i think is smaller by the way a5 should be bigger than a4 but it's smaller isn't it who the hell made that decision that's been a disaster for the world hasn't it a1 a2 a3 no one knows what these sizes are it's a living hell so smaller the number the bigger the paper gets make it make sense so yes you could but you could get a bigger notebook you could get you know any size you like really it might live on your desk at work or at home, it might be on a bedside table, it might be in your rucksack or your suitcase or your work bag, it might be in your handbag, or it could be a little one for your pocket or your skirt. Do skirts have pockets? Do you know what? I might bring out a range of the Mark Dolan way skirts that have pockets for the notebook that I'd like you to have. Would you buy a the Mark Dolan way skirt? I think we're approaching that point in our history where it's time for merch don't you think i feel so especially the old puffer jackets there needs to be a mark dolan way puffer jacket because if you'll remember from an early episode an excellent way to stay warm in the winter is to wear two puffer jackets one on top of the other which provides double the warmth and insulation puffer jackets with a lot of down filling are really expensive so why don't you just buy two puffer jackets that don't have much down in which are cheap, two of those equals one down with one jacket with a lot of down filling. It's a previous episode, do check it out. It's highly recommended. Um, merch. Yeah, so anyway, you've got your little notebook and um, I've just taken notes here that I'm going to talk about air. We'll do a special show about air, Toyota, Apple, corporate philosophies. I've written it down. Anything you think of that's good, write it down and also have a to-do list. A to-do list is brilliant. It's accountability. It reminds you, we try to do too much by memory. All of us in our lives, we go around like a waiter in a restaurant. You know, those waiters that think they can remember your order and then they bring all the wrong food. Don't be like that in your own life. OK, it's terribly important that you remember the things that matter to you. So getting straight into um, the show today. Lovely to have your company. I do hope everything's well. 
Um, can I talk to you about the power of collaboration? We tend to perceive people who are very successful as an island. We think of them as this sort of monolithic figure that's just all powerful, some kind of genius. On a previous show, we've talked about the myth of genius. Genius is a myth. It's just it's hard work and application and talent. And everyone's got talent. But um, the other idea is this pe people being, you know, just sort of superhuman and human. You know, you do have really special leaders and you do have people with profound talent. You also have some people who are supernaturally ambitious and driven. OK, so we're not all the same. We're not all equal in that department. But everyone's got different attributes, which is why collaboration is so good. And there is no successful individual who made it on their own. You think about Cristiano Ronaldo. OK, he's won loads of trophies and stuff with 10 other players on the pitch and a manager and the kit people and the sports psychologist and the nutritionists and the fans and the kit manufacturers. And it's a massive team. So I want you in your life to embrace collaboration. I want you to become more open to people's input because it's something I work really hard on myself. And I try to expose myself to things that, you know, thoughts I wouldn't have, opinions I don't have, things to do that I, you know, so if someone said to me, oh, we're going to, uh, we're going to have a holiday and it's just going to be archery. We're going on an archery holiday, right? Now that doesn't really jump off the page for me, but I'll just, I'll go. I will go and I'll do the archery. Right. It is not it is of no interest to me, the archery. I'm not even sure. I'm 49. I don't think I've ever said the word archery. Right. I don't think that that word has left my lips before archery. <laughs> I mean, what is archery? You you have this sort of dartboard, don't you? And you've got this really fancy. Is it a crossbow and arrow? Or something? I don't care. I'm I'm actually boring myself even talking about it can you imagine anything worse than an archery holiday <laughs> where do you do archery what, 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 what is the global capital of archery i wonder i'm going to get emails now from angry archers and i've got to be honest with you they could kill me couldn't they because they've got a very accurate shot you know i could just walking down the street i could be in my local tesco and i'll just get an arrow in my throat from a furious archer a poison dart in my neck. Anyway, my point is that I would go on the archery holiday because I try to just say yes to stuff and I try to go with it, expose myself to things that, you know, and I'm sure I've got no doubt you do too, but take it to the max. Be as collaborative as you can possibly be because the most collaborative people are the most happy and the most successful. And... I'll give you an example, Jay Leno. Now, he's an, a US comedian and famous talk show host from the 90s and 2000s. He hosted The Tonight Show, which is the iconic late night US entertainment show. It's, it's a talk show or a chat show, if you're listening in the UK, with a comedy monologue at the beginning, celebrity guests and a band and sometimes a stand up comedian. And Jay Leno, very good at this job. His great rival was David Letterman, who I prefer. You know, it, with Leno and Letterman, it's like Pepsi and Coca-Cola. Um, different qualities, different strengths. What I like about Letterman is I think that he was more original. 
He was more subversive. He was more satirical. I liked his grouchy, curmudgeonly persona. I think he, David Letterman, is a more gifted broadcaster. I think he's a better improviser. And if you want to have a real laugh, watch his interview with Paris Hilton on YouTube. There are a few interviews, but it's the one where she's just come out of jail. And she wants to talk about, I think, her perfume, her range of perfumes. And he wants to talk about the fact that she's come out of jail. And he's like a dog with a bone. And his improv skills, where he just reacts in such a hilarious way in a, in a clearly unscripted chat, demonstrates his huge talents of improvisation. So that's why I like Letterman. And as I say, he was an innovator. He was a true original. Also, just a more skillful broadcaster. I think just his command of the medium. He had done radio and he was a weatherman. And I think he just had that background in broadcasting, plus being a great comedian. So he, he was marvellous, David Letterman. In fact, if you want to just have some fun, just go back and watch old David Letterman interviews on YouTube with anyone you like. There are a gazillion interviews on there from Donald Trump to Cher to Madonna to Elton John to everyone. So I love Dave. But I will say that Jay Leno. So Jay Leno, probably a more skillful stand up comedian. David Letterman never really loved stand up. He saw it as a means to an end. In fact, to this day, he says, I'm not really, I was never really a stand-up. I'm not a stand-up. But to David Letterman's credit, he was a stand-up comedian for several years and a host at the the um, the comedy store in in Los Angeles and, and elsewhere. But Leno is different. Leno is on another level as a, as a stand-up comedian. Jay Leno does multiple shows a year. I mean, even now he's in his mid-70s and he does about 150 live shows a year. This is a man worth hundreds of millions of dollars and yet he's still on the road being a comedian and when Jay Leno did his TV show he still at the weekend would perform live shows like he'd jump on an airplane and actually go off and do gigs so he's like on TV all week millions of viewers and at the weekend live shows in theatres it was relentless and as I say I think he did the Tonight Show for about 24 years so he was very good at delivering jokes, very good at writing jokes as well. He he wrote, you know, large chunks of his daily monologues. There was a writer's strike. The quality of the show did not suffer. He was writing the gags himself. So I've got great respect for Jay Leno. Plus, he successfully beat David Letterman in getting The Tonight Show in the first place, which involved a lot of skullduggery. And uh, Jay Leno has many detractors and many enemies and many foes because many people feel that David Letterman should have got that one. But look. Life ain't fair. And Leno orchestrated a situation well enough to become the host of the most prized media property in US television history, which is The Tonight Show. So why am I talking about Leno so much? Well, because he was very collaborative and he had, he knew that he was good at telling jokes, but what he he did is he really looked after his writers. So he had a lot of different writers. People would sometimes offer him material and he'd say, well, this material isn't quite right, but here's, here's the address. Send in a pack of jokes every day. And if we use any, we'll credit you. So he actually accepted unsolicited material from members of the public. He had a vast array of writers. If he saw a comedian who he liked, he would enlist them as a potential writer. So he nurtured and created this sort of sweatshop of creators around him. And that was a great thing. That was work for writers, you know, but he embraced having all their material 
and as I say, he, he, um, he, you know, he was very invested in the work they did as writers. I have, as you know, done television for years and years and years. And I'm always amazed by sometimes how badly writers are treated. It's like these people give you the golden eggs. They are um, really helping you out. They're on your side. Look after them. Nurture the goose that lays the golden eggs. Anyway, so he got that. So he's very supportive of writers, of producers. And his attitude was, I'm not going to tell the sound guy how to work a microphone. That's his or her department. I'm not going to tell the lighting guy or the lighting lady about lighting. That's what they do. And the lawyers do this and then the marketing people do this and the advertising people do this. And he just really embraced the idea that he had this big team around him and they all know what they've got to do and he will defer. So what's remarkable is that even though he was so successful, number one for ratings for years and years and years, but he used to, say, used to say to his team, um, if something about the show sucks, if I'm crap, tell me I'm crap. And he said, sometimes we'd do a show and it wasn't good. And somebody, the most junior member of the team could say, Jay Leno, uh, this was crap and, and it wasn't any good. Somebody, Jay Leno made, a, I think, a trans joke once and a member of his team said it was inappropriate. And he said, OK, I'll never do a trans joke again. Um, and that that is amazing. So it's like a flat hierarchy. His attitude was we're all invested in this one product. And if you've got something to say, if you have input, it's going to be worthwhile. And that is the opposite of a leader who's detached from reality with people just saying you're great, having a yes man around you all the time, just agreeing with you, which, of course, is nice. It's very comfortable. Well, Jay Leno did not did not want that comfort. He wanted the discomfort of a junior producer saying that comedy sketch we did, it didn't work or it was boring or it was too long. And Jay Leno knew that if you had that diagnostic mechanism in place, you could say, right, thank you for telling me that didn't work. I agree. How can we fix that? How can we not make that mistake again? And all that really happened is the show just incrementally got better every day, every week, every month and every year. And that's why he stayed at the top phase for so, for so long. But it wasn't like, I'm Jay Leno, I'm wiser than the rest of you. Everyone had their say. So just try to be really, be more Jay Leno. And it's not just in the workplace where you just absorb. And by the way, sometimes colleagues will say, and I get it, sometimes we'll say, well, I don't like that guest or I don't agree with that. And occasionally I'll go, look, I hear what you're saying, but I don't agree. I think it was a strong item. I don't agree that it was bad. I think it's worthwhile and I'm glad we did it. So, you know, you don't have to roll over. And if people say stuff's bad and you don't agree, that's fine. You, know, you can disagree, but at least have pause for thought and reflect on their feedback and absorb it. And a lot of the time what they say is going to be true and it's going to help you to be better. That's the thing. Jay Leno exposed himself to pushback and criticism from his team and honesty because that enabled him to improve. And the minute you stop having that criticism, your development stops altogether. So bathe yourself in constructive criticism. There is a little flip side to that before we get back to collaboration. And that is this. You need a team around you who you trust, who, who you think are allies of yours and have your best interests at heart. And that is the team who can be honest with you and you expose yourself to what they've got to say. But there is a caveat. Very often in a team, you will find negative people. 
Now, maybe it's somebody that wants your job or wants to destroy you or is jealous of you. Or maybe it's somebody that's just a negative person. They just have negative vibes. Their glass is half empty, not half full. They see the bad in everyone, the bad in everything. Negative people tend to be lazy. They tend to be critical. Uh, they tend to be unproductive and even destructive. Now, it's not your job to fix negative people, okay? Um, you can open dialogue and you can say, hey, listen, Steve, I feel like you're in the meetings. You're always negative. Can you be more constructive, right? You've given Steve the chance to change, right? So give negative people a chance. But I think you'll find a lot of the time, if somebody is perpetually negative, that's just in their makeup, it's in their nature, and it's not going to be great for you. So I think you need to get rid. I really do. And that can't be done straight away because you might not only be in a position to like chuck negative people out of your team. It might even be hard to get negative people out of your life because it could be a close relative. But one way or another, you need to get negative people away from you. I mean, I know people who have, let's say, a mother that's a nightmare. They love their mother because it's their mother, but the mother's a nightmare. And what they do is they just, um, they just have some distance from the mother. Do you know what I mean? They just, a lot of people will leave the town in which their mother lives and they'll just live in another town. That way they don't have to live in the same place as their mother and then they can visit and be a good daughter or a good son, but from a distance. Honestly, the number of people that have left, moved countries to get away from a relative that they can't stand. Um, but really, I do know, I know a lot of people that have healed their life by more or less moving away from a relative that was just negative and it was just really, really destructive. And I know people that have let friendships go for the same reason. And it's tough, I know, but you've got to put yourself first because this is about you and this podcast is about you and this journey is about you. You know, we're going to talk a lot in future shows about how fulfilling it is to help others. Absolutely. I'm going to write that down. Others. But it starts with you. It starts with your mental and physical health. It starts with you getting eight hours of sleep a night and the correct diet, loving yourself, being positive, challenging yourself. You know, the show is the show's for you, for no one else. OK, and actually by making yourself well and strong, that's the point at which you will be able to help others. But one thing to do is to get negative people away from you and out of your life. Don't engage, especially if it's like, a, I don't know, an ex-boyfriend or something. Just like, honestly, block, block, block. Just get out of there. Don't reply. Move on. Um, Their negativity is, you know, that's going to be, that's their issue. But I've, I've definitely in the past, I've worked with people who are negative and they, they dress it up as, constructive criticism or they want stuff to be better but you realize that they don't offer an alternative and they're just like a cloud and when they're not there everything feels so much freer you feel so liberated you don't have this weight on your shoulder because that negativity is not there so uh, do do um keep your radar out for negativity and if you sort of spot it you're like move away run for the hills uh, elton john well i've got to tell you his mother if you read his brilliant autobiography, which is called Me, which is incredibly hilarious and very moving, um, he pretty much, he pretty much 
separated from his mother. He dumped his mother. I mean, this is harsh and I wouldn't recommend. I don't think you can or should dump your mother. But he, he of course, did not dump her. He's a very generous guy. And she enjoyed a very, very healthy level of financial support for her whole life. Wildly generous and very loving and all the rest of it. But they they separated. They didn't speak for 10 years, I think. Now, that seems a bit harsh and he got criticism at the time. But if you read the book, his side of the story is that she was really horrible and very negative and destroying his well-being, really. And he's like, I've had enough of this. So she paid the ultimate price. And that is it, really. Whoever's in your life that's negative, you just need to re recalibrate that relationship and protect yourself as much as possible. And then, of course, what you want to do is hoover up people who are positive and who are constructive. Okay. I've talked in the past about the power of language. If you've got a team, you say to the team, hey, hey, team, um, we could work 10% harder than we currently do. And you say could, right? You're leaving the door open to more productivity. If you say we should, that's heavy, that's autocratic, it's author authoritarian. It's not very nice, is it? You should. You don't want to say that. You've got to take people with you. Human beings are autonomous creatures. How about this? We could work 10% harder and then we could achieve higher results and everyone could get a massive bonus at the end of the year. See? So positive. Rather than you should do this because you're paid to do this and if not, I'm going to cut your wages and you're rubbish anyway and you're lucky to have a job here and no one else would employ you anywhere else. That's all negative, isn't it? It was a hey team. We could work 10% harder. We could get great bonuses. We could improve our CV. We could then go and get headhunted by another company because of our amazing performance and double our cash and da 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 da. See, do you see how positivity is a, is a spiral? It's self-perpetuating. Positivity is like crack cocaine. It's a superfood. It's a superpower. Get high, knock yourself out on positivity. And actually that's what I mean earlier about do something rubbish today, not something great tomorrow. If you put something down on paper, if you get some work done today, that's an act of positivity. You're kind of saying, look, I believe this can be good and I'll just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start it now. It's a positive framework. Let's get going. If you say, I'll do something great tomorrow, that's actually negative because you're saying, I can't do it well today. In fact, you can. Uh, further to collaboration, a couple of other great examples of collaboration. We mentioned Elton John. And this is a guy, I mean, half of his career is, is thanks to Bernie Taupin, his lyricist. There's no, there's no jealousy. There's no bitterness between the two of them. Bernie Taupin writes the lyrics, Elton John writes the music. The work they produce together, I would argue, is genius. Rocket Man, Candle in the Wind. Your song, Daniel, Crocodile Rock. I'm still standing. I guess that's why they call it the blues. The list is endless. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. Where do you stop with his litany of hits? It's ridiculous. It's all down to collaboration. Bernie Taupin writes the words. Elton John writes the music. Not just that, when he was in the studio recording these iconic albums, he would often say, "He, what was it? Which song was it? I can't remember now. I'm really sorry. Let me think which song it was. Might have been The Bitches Back or Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, but he said to his guitarist, Davy Johnstone, I think, oh, was it I'm Still Standing? I think it was I'm Still Standing. He said, um, this, I really see, I, I hear this as a, as a guitar song not a piano song. Now you would think Elton John writes all about the piano, but he writes, it was one of his hits anyway, writes this amazing tune. And he says to the guitarist, 
I think this is this is, this is the guitar is going to be the dominant instrument on this song, not the piano. And the guitar is like, nah, come on, come on, you're Elton John, it's the piano. And Elton's like, no, no, it's 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 guitar. And that is a credit to him, right? That he's willing to sacrifice his lead instrument because he believes that the song is a guitar song. So he's literally writing himself out of out of the picture. And that's an amazing thing. And it shows the humility. So the other thing that he does is that he records, he writes the songs, the band rehearsed them, then they, they record the song and then they listen back and then he goes. And then the producer, who at the time was the late, great Gus Dudgeon, an incredible, iconic, very underrated record producer, the man responsible for putting the audience sound effect on Benny and the Jets, he also was the producer of Space Oddity by David Bowie. Genius producer. Very sadly killed in a car crash and much missed. And Gus Dudgeon would then get to work with this raw material created by Elton. So what Elton's done is he's put his lyric, he's put his vocal down and you've got the piano and all of that's on tape. And then Elton would just go. And old Gus Dudgeon would beaver away for weeks on end, mixing and put strings in here and a bit of this and a bit of that, turn the drums up, turn the guitar down, reverb. Imagine this complete train set to play with. And then Elton would come back and then he would listen. He's like, yeah, I really like that. And the backing vocals are good. I'm not sure about that or whatever. But completely light touch from Elton. Why? Because he's a collaborator. He lets Torpin write the lyrics. He lets Gus Dudgeon produce the album. He lets Dee Murray do the bass. He lets Davy Johnstone do the lead guitar. He lets Nigel Olsen drum. And Ray Cooper. So it's a wonderful thing. That man is successful because of his nature, his spirit of collaboration. So I want you to be more Jay Leno, be more Elton. Uh, even during lockdown in the pandemic, you would expect that to be very bad for an artist. What does Elton do? He does a collaborative album called The Lockdown Sessions, where he writes with a bunch of new musicians. It goes to number one in the UK. So it works. Collab collaboration. You have to swallow your pride a bit. You know, you can't just take all the glory. People that want to hog the limelight and take all the glory, they, they're left with nothing. It's all about being a team player. The Beatles. Is there a better example of collaboration than the Beatles? You've got the wonderful creative competition between Lennon and McCartney and then just old, what's his face? Old George Harrison quietly churning out hits like While My Guitar Gently Weeps, Something and Here Comes the Sun. I mean, that's not bad, is it? Those are some of the best Beatles songs ever written by supposedly the third most important member of the group. Well, they were equally important. Equally important. Many people consider Ringo Starr to be the best drummer in um, pop music. Amazing guy. And when I was a kid, Ringo was my favourite because he was funny. So there you go. He was the hero as far as I was concerned. The Beatles, very collaborative. Um, the football manager, Brian Clough, who achieved ridiculous things with these very unsuccessful teams who were Nottingham Forest and Derby County. And he took them to extraordinary glory with his partner, Peter Taylor. 
there's a lovely film, another great film recommendation for you. And it's called The Damned United. D-A-M-N-E-D. The Damned United. And it is a film about football. And it's about what uh, happened when Brian Clough went to Leeds United, which was the big, really successful team of the time. But he went without his collaborator. He went without Peter Taylor. I think Peter Taylor got a job in Brighton. So Brian Clough said, I'll do it on my own. They'd had all this success with Peter Taylor. Now, I will say that Brian Clough was the genius. He was this amazing psychologist. He, um, he once said to his team, his team were playing really badly. And it was, I think it was nil-nil at half time, and they weren't playing well. And the team came into the dressing room and he said to them, I have no team talk. You're going to win 3-0. And then he just left the room. <laughs> that was it, right? That was the half time. Anyway, do you want to know what happened? They won 3-0. <laughs> that is psychology. That is psychology, baby. That is... That is a gift, isn't it? I've got no team talk. You're going to win the game 3-0. <laughs> he leaves the room. They win 3-0. Just let that sink in for a moment. Now you'd say, oh, that was just, he got lucky. It was a fluke. No, he took these fledgling bad teams with no players and no money, took them to the top of their leagues and he achieved the European Cup with Nottingham Forest which to this day remains a miraculous achievement. So, but, so he was a genius, Clough, absolutely, Clough. But Peter Taylor was his collaborator. Peter Taylor was very good at finding talented young players from lower divisions and other clubs. And also, I think he was a good balancing force for, for Brian Clough's abrasive personality. They were a great team and they needed each other. And yes, Brian was the lead character in the same way that Elton is the lead character over Bernie Taupin. Yes, of course, Elton's the star, but there's no Elton without Bernie. I should add, by the way, the other great lyricist who is called Gary Osborne, who has written some of my absolutely favourite Elton John songs, including Little Genie, Shine On Through and Part Time Love, Blue Eyes. Uh, they've written some really nice songs together. And I'm also a big fan of Tim Rice's lyrics with Elton John. They co-wrote The Lion King, which I think is one of the all-time great Disney soundtracks. Hakuna Matata, I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Circle of Life. Some banging tracks on that album. Um, but they wrote a song together called How I Know You from the Aida soundtrack. How I Know You, Elton John, Tim Rice. Let me recommend it. It's gorgeous. What a delicate, beautiful song. And in the soundtrack, it's performed by James Taylor. And I love it. How I Know You, James Taylor, Aida. Check it out. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And it's very spare. It's very minimal. And it's lovely to hear an Elton John song sung by a different artists. In fact, generally, whatever band you love or whatever singer you love, isn't it great when someone covers their music? because it just reminds you and illustrates how great the composition was. Sometimes when you hear a song from a band that you love, like let's say it's the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, you're like, yeah, you know, I like that song. Let, let's imagine it's, um, 
let's imagine it's the Rolling Stones song Satisfaction or something. If you hear like a heavy metal band do a version of Satisfaction and you realise all over again, you rediscover what a great song it is. Anyway, so I, I love my favourite artists being covered by other people. How I Know You, James Taylor, Elton John, give it a whirl. Lovely ballad. Um, now, there was a point to this. Brian Clough, Peter Taylor. Um, you just want to put together your A-team, okay? So in your life, in your private life, over time, you have your A-team of your friends, right? And what you've got to do is you've really got to look after the people who have been there for you. They've been loyal. They've been supportive. Take note of that, because I, I used to work with this guy in TV, really nice guy. And he'd helped a comedian. He'd helped a comedian a lot early in that comedian's career. And the comedian became very successful. And then he reached out to the comedian years later when the comedian's a big star. And the comedian didn't take his calls and didn't engage with him at all. And he was really hurt. And he said to me, I just would expect that there was a, something in the bank there. I would expect some acknowledgement of what I did in the past in terms of, you know, he's a busy guy. The comedian's a busy guy and he's a big star. No problem. He gets a lot of requests. But if the guy calling him is the guy that got him started in his career and helped him and he wouldn't be there without that guy's support, you take that call, don't you? You take that call because there is something in the bank. And I, I try, I try, pride myself, I think, I hope, on never forgetting the people that have helped me and always being there should they need anything because I'm grateful. So, you know, that's a case of, you know, acknowledge and remember what people have done for you. People have short memories. So it's very valuable if you don't have a short memory and that you do. Occasionally I'll remind friends or colleagues. I've got one guy, one of my first ever bosses in the media. Whenever I see him, I always go, i got to thank you for my career. You gave me a real important opportunity. And I remind you, he's like, you don't have to say that every time. You don't, you know, but I do. I insist on reminding him because I just appreciate it. So make sure that you acknowledge how people have helped you, what people have done for you and that you, you know, do what you can for them. I just think that's how it works. It's reciprocal, isn't it? And you're going to put together an A team of these people, these trusted you know, and you see it in politics where if you get a politician that goes into power, gets into office and they've got a really good cabinet around them. They've got an excellent finance secretary, excellent foreign secretary, an excellent health minister, a good, strong team. That will be a successful government. It's never a great president or great prime minister. It's an excellent team around you. It's so critical. What about a movie? I mean, you look at these filmmakers and they're really successful ones. You know, they, they work with the same director of photography and they work with the same sound people, often work with the same script writers, they often work with the same actors. Martin Scorsese. How many films has Martin Scorsese done with Robert De Niro? You know, it's a great relationship. It's a great collaboration. Great things have been done together by those two men. Now, that is collaboration. Um, what am I going to finish on? Um, let's do really quickly... Uh, products. We haven't done a products in a while, have we? Can I tell you how excited I am about my AEG washer dryer? And I can tell you that this thing is old. It's old. It's like seven years old or something. Maybe eight. It's old. It's old. And it's a washer dryer. 
Now, washer dryers get a very bad name because people argue you cannot have two things in one device, which is the washing and the drying. That's what they argue. And I agree. In the old days, washer dryers were rubbish because basically you'd wash your stuff and then it would be in the dryer and it would just come out completely wet. Why? Because you're trying to dry clothes in a bloody washing machine. But um, they've got much better now. So if you're very, very lucky, you will have enough space in your home for a washing machine and a tumble dryer. I do not have space in my home for a washing machine and a tumble dryer. I would argue that it is probably my commercial ambition one day to have a home that could accommodate both a washer dryer, sorry, a washing machine and a tumble dryer. I would love that. It would be nice. One on top of the other, maybe one next to each other. I would love to have a utility room. Imagine a room just for the machines. How decadent is that? A room for the machines. What? You just go in and there's like a boiler, a water softener, a tumble dryer, a washing machine. Just a room for the machines which service your lifestyle. Oh, that would be nice. Anyway, uh, one day. But um, in the absence of the space, I have a washer dryer and it's really, really good. And just the other day, I had to do a screenshot because I've got a smart meter in which I can see how much energy is being used. And when it was in drying mode, it was costing me point. Well, oh, I've got the picture somewhere. I can't see it. Anyway, it was costing me a few P per hour. It was really, really eco. So some of these washer dryers are much more eco than they used to be. And I think mine is more eco than a normal tumble dryer because what it does is it it's quite clever. It's a condenser dryer. I think what it does effectively, and as you know, I'm not a scientist or an engineer, but it basically creates a bit of water and then it boils the water and the steam then dries the clothes. That's quite clever, isn't it? So you use a steam to dry the clothes. Imagine that. And it's very good. So, and it's, it's not... Um, it's quite eco. So I love it. And if so, if you need a new washing machine, consider a washer dryer. Um, a couple of top tips. We do not dry everything. So I would argue that you take out big stuff because that takes longer to dry, which will use more energy, takes more time. So I'll do a wash. And when the wash is finished, I open the washing machine door and I take out the towels Think about a towel. Where do you hide? Where do you where do you dry a towel? You dry a towel on a towel rail. It just goes. It just just goes where the towels go, and it'll be dry in a few hours. So you get the towels out. You get big things out like trousers and jeans and hoodies. If you've got the energy, you can even take the t-shirts out. And then what you do is you leave the small stuff in, which would be like your underpants and your knickers and your various bits of underwear and smaller items, running shorts smaller things and then what happens is that when it dries there's a load of space in the drum for the clothes to move around so they dry more quickly the worst thing you can do is have the drum full and then try to dry because it will just take forever and it's a waste of energy but i really do honestly think again about washer dryers now there are different companies that make them all different brands Miele do one they're very very expensive but i'm sure good zanussi who else? Smeg, I think, do one. But I've got to tell you that AEG has really delivered for me. The AEG washer dryer is excellent. 
And what I do, if you're buying a washer dryer, can I recommend you get one with the biggest possible drum, right? A really large drum. It's very handy for me. I got two boys and often there is a lot of volume to wash. And it's really nice being able to just shove it all in this massive drum. I know it's like 11 kilos it takes or something. It takes a vast amount of clothes. And I think that's more efficient because you can get more clothes done in one wash. Surely that's better for the environment, better for energy and all the rest of it. It's also more convenient. But the other great advantage of the really big drum is that when you then remove a few clothes, the stuff will dry very quickly because it's in a, I, I do know that I remember the Miele washer dryer, which I looked at, had a small drum. So you'd have to take, you couldn't put that many clothes in. You'd have to take a lot of clothes out to dry. That didn't seem as efficient to me. But yeah, all hail the washer dryer. Absolutely love it. I'm loving it. Before we go, and we've got lots to talk about in future shows. And by the way, I'm going to do a, I mentioned the washer dryer We'll do a bit more on laundry on another occasion. But can I just remind you from a previous show, can I recommend that you use wool detergent as your main detergent for your washing? Because it's basically soapy. It's, it's, it's washing powder, but it's for wool and silk. But OK, the wool and silk detergent is good news for wool and silk. We know that. But it's good news for all of your clothes. It's good news for your denim for your jeans it's good news for your cotton shirts and t-shirts good news for your dresses it's good news for your underwear it's good news for your socks so why do we have to love bomb just wool and silk with the appropriate detergent so i've got a great product which is called woolite w-o-o-l-i-t but if you're outside the uk and that product's not available just find any any detergent which goes in the machine which is for, for wool and silk and make that your detergent and you'll find that it's great i mean your your clothes it's bubbles it's soap it does the job why do we have to like nuke our clothes why do they have to be obliterated with these really strong detergents that are full of enzymes and it's over the top antibacterial it's all mad you don't need it you just need some bubbles in there you need a soapy mix and then the machine does the work and your clothes last longer. The dye stays in the fabric. They don't change color. You don't get bobbling. Make the wool and silk detergent your main detergent for a week. Let me know how you get on. It's also better for your skin because, you know, you're going to have these things close to your skin. And also it's got to be better for the environment using this rather more innocent, basic detergent that hasn't got the enzymes in and the antibiotics and everything. So anyway, big fan of that. Um, before we go, whatever you're doing in life, enjoy it. Okay, so if you've got a challenging situation at work, such as a work presentation or some crazy work deadline, or imagine if you're participating in a race, maybe you're an athlete, you're at the Olympics, maybe you are developing a new product and you're inventing something whatever your task is especially when it's hard try to enjoy it try to enjoy it we've had a bit of football today haven't we in the show so just imagine if it's the if it's a major soccer cup final and you've got two teams and they're going to go out to play 11 versus 11 i would advise the team that i was managing to go out there obviously Understand your job. Know what your job is. Get the basics right. Concentrate. 
Don't make any unforced errors, right? Don't bring tragedy upon yourself. Let them prevail over you, but don't prevail over yourself. Do you know what I mean? You keep the ball. Don't make mistakes. Stay focused. Understand this is my job. I'm the defender. The other person's the attacker. That's their job. So everyone know your job. Focused, structured, discipline. Obviously, we're going to assume months and years of practice. But there's one other thing that you've got to do, which is you've got to enjoy it. And I'm convinced that the team that go out there and enjoy the game are more likely to win. Why? Because if you enjoy it, you're less stressed. You've got a smile on your face. You're more relaxed. You're more inclined to sort of play by your natural instincts. You're going to improvise. You're going to be creative. You're going to use your imagination and you're having fun out there. So try to enjoy it. I did a winter sports skiing show on television in the UK on Channel 4. It was called The Jump and I had to do these horrific ski jumps. And I struggled with nerves and with fear, perhaps understandably, because you're flying through air on a pair of skis and trying to land on the ground. It's absolutely terrifying. Um, but what really helped me was to uh, f- smile. Right. I mean, I wasn't enjoying myself, but I would put a smile on my face as I skied down. Sometimes I would sing as well, but I would smile like that. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see I'm smiling. And I found that I had less stress if I smiled. It somehow removed the anxiety somewhat. It's a strange mechanism, isn't it? So if you're faced with something hard and even something that you don't really want to do, try to enjoy it. Try to focus yourself on, you know, imagine if it is you're going to play some tennis match and you get to the final and there's a little bit of pressure and there's people watching you go, well, you know what? This is exciting, isn't it? I'm in the final. I'm, I'm in the spotlight. I'm having my moment. You can't say I'm not living to the max. Just try and enjoy it. Just try and enjoy it. Maybe there's something you don't want to do. You've been dragged to the opera. Maybe you're on a archery holiday. What is archery? Where would you go for an archery holiday? What country dominates the world of archery? I would imagine Holland. I don't know why. It's very flat. No hills. Perfect for for the archer. <laughs> but if you're on an archery holiday and you didn't really want to go, but Mark Dolan on his podcast said, look, you've got to do stuff you don't want to do sometimes because it might be fun. Try and enjoy it. Try and enjoy that archery holiday with the kind of bullseye thing and the crossbow and arrow and all that business and the poison darts and the very passive aggressive people that enjoy that sport. <laughs> but Enjoy. Try to enjoy things that you don't really fancy doing, but have to make the best of it. And who knows, it may bring out the best in you. It's been lovely to have your company. It's been lovely to chat. Um, Please subscribe. Please give us an honest review. Tell your friends, tell your family. And I can't wait to see you and talk to you in a week's time. Go and have a brilliant, brilliant week. And remember, do something rubbish today, not something great tomorrow. So promise me you'll do something rubbish today. Take care and bye bye.